chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. So the story begins with Peter and John, who are two disciples of Jesus. They've been with Jesus since the beginning. They're part of the twelve. And they're going up to the temple, so the church of that day, to pray. They know that prayer is important. We saw that in chapter 1. They see that when it comes to like revival and God doing things and changing things, prayer is like essential. So for them, they're, they're, they're going together not to necessarily get a Bible study or worship. They just want to pray together. Then look at verse 2. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried... And they laid him daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So here's the third character in the story. It's a lame beggar. Like, do you guys, I don't know, because I'm 28. Is lame a word you guys use still? Is that like in your vocabulary? So when you say lame, when you call someone lame, what do you mean? Whoa, okay. Or like... (laughs) You know, maybe like like a loser or like somebody who's stupid, someone who doesn't have their act together. Um, so this guy's life was like lame in the sense of not like he was just a loser. This guy was actually crippled. So he was like a loser in the sense where he can't do anything. Like he literally from his entire life, he was lame from birth. He couldn't walk. Back then they had no wheelchairs. Like Today, if you're lame, if you're crippled, if you can't move your legs, at least you have wheelchairs. At least you have the dignity where you can wheel yourself around. Back then, there was no wheelchairs. So just imagine your legs don't work and, like, your friends have to carry you everywhere. Like, that's kind of embarrassing. There's a lot of shame in that. So this guy lives this life where it's just basically this embarrassing life. He's needy. He has to be. Like, I know a lot of you don't like being needy. Like, a lot of us, we like to have our act together. We like to be able to know that we're in control of our situations. Some of us don't even really like asking anyone for help with anything because you like to have this image where you're in control. For this guy, he didn't have that. Literally, he's this dude where his, he has to beg people to carry him around from place to place. So look at verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Basically, that means he begged for money. He's like, hey, can you hook me up with some cash? And he has no idea who these two guys are. Like, he sees Peter and John. He's not like, oh, it's the Jesus guys. No, he doesn't know who they are. He just sees them. And this is what we call a divine appointment. Like, a divine appointment is when God has two or three or one or whatever. It doesn't really matter the number. But when God has Christians show up and he's planned what's about to happen ahead of time. Uh, I've experienced this tons of times. Um, the most recent example was when um, I ended up running in, into those homeless people, and um, I ended up talking to them and buying them food, and then they ended up talking to me and encouraging me about Ireland, about the trip. That's a divine appointment. That's something God set up ahead of time. Um, Peter and John have run in to this Holy Spirit appointment that's been set up. So they see this lame guy. And he's, like, begging for alms. Like, do you guys remember um, Disney's Robin Hood? Did you guys ever see that? So Robin Hood dresses up as a beggar, and he's like, alms for the poor. Like, that's what this guy is doing. Look at verse 40. Or not 40, verse 4. So Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And Peter, so Peter looks at this guy, and he's like, hey, you, look at me. Like, Bradley, look at me. That's what he's doing right there. He's like, hey, you, in the eyes, look at me. Um, And then verse 5, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. This happened to me just recently. I was in downtown San Diego. 
with my wife. We were going to a concert, and my wife was waiting in line. Handsome? Yeah, handsome. And uh, yeah, my wife was waiting in line, and I was like, hey, since you're in line with your friends, can I go for a walk? So I was walking around, and I run into this homeless guy, and he's this tall, skinny guy. He's missing part of his face. I learned later he's a Vietnam vet, so he took a grenade and got some shrapnel in his face and all this stuff, and... I'm waiting to see who's walking in. Okay, it's Rebecca probably. Just making sure we weren't about to get murdered. Oh, it's Katie. It's like a sitcom. Everyone's clapping. Uh, hey. You guys know the sitcoms where someone walks in and everyone claps? That's what we're doing. So, Welcome. So we're in John chapter 3, and we're talking about the uh, Peter and John find a guy. This, you, yeah, we're in Acts. Sorry. You guys are so confused. Acts chapter 3. You've barely missed anything. Peter and John walk up, and there's a guy who's lame from birth. That means he can't walk, and he's begging for money. So that's basically all we talked about. When I was in San Diego, I run into this guy, same type of situation. He's um, begging for money, and he's a Vietnam War veteran. He has leukemia. He's got shrapnel. He showed me there was, like, metal chunks in his face from a grenade that he took to the face. And um, he suffered from, like, extreme ADD. So he, like, I could not get a word in edgewise. He's just like, hey, buddy, how you doing? Can I help, can I help you? Can you help me? Buy me stuff. He, like, it was, it was crazy. So we went to 7-Eleven, and uh, he wanted me to buy him food. And I'm thinking, like, oh, he just wants, like, a candy bar. But I was like, yeah, get whatever you want. He's like, okay. And he literally, like, grabbed about $40 worth of stuff. Like, he was grabbing <laughs> sandwiches and potato chips and drinks. And I didn't want to be that guy who, like, was like, hey, you can't get that. So I'd, I'd let him buy it. Um, and uh, I guess he was a Christian because, you know, when I told him my name, he's like, oh, Aaron, that's the brother of Moses. I'm James, the brother of Jesus. And we kept going on back and forth. And it, it, was, it was really cool. It was actually a cool situation because... This was a guy who I could tell, and he told me, he's like, what he told me, he's like, he's like, no one ever talks to me. He's like, people walk in or walk by and they see me and they just walk right by. He's like, no one ever treats me like a human. And he was telling me, you know, a lot of people find him annoying because he's so ADD and he's so all over the place and so crazy. And he's, you know, he was just telling me, like, he was thanking me, like he was teary-eyed. And he's just like, thank you so much for like giving me the time of day and like actually talking with me and hanging out with me. Um, and it was, it was a really cool experience. And, and right now that's, it made me think of this guy cause that's what Peter sees. He sees this guy. That's what happened. The guy saw me and he locked on target. He was like, Oh, here's a guy who can maybe help me. Um, so this, this beggar locks on to Peter and John, but then Peter and John are like, Hey, no, we're locking on to you. Look at us because we want to show you that we think you're a human. Like, we want to show you that we care about you. We're, we're going to look you in the eye. Look at verse 6. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then he took him by the right hand, and he raised them up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So this is amazing. This is a guy whose life was lame in more ways than one, and now it's just become awesome. Like, like, picture it. This is a guy who has never walked. Like, imagine you have never walked in your entire life. And then these guys come in and they say, hey, we're disciples of Jesus. We want to help you. And they pray for you. And they grab you by the hand. And they lift you up. And now, all of a sudden, you're feeling these feelings in your legs that you've never felt before. This, this is incredible. Like, in an instant, Jesus changes everything about this guy's life. Look at verse 8. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He just bursts into the temple. He's like skipping and jumping. He's just like, I can walk. Like, it's this amazing scene. In verse 9, 
all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, they were filled with wonder and amazement. They know this guy. Like they, they, it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but like in Vista, there's certain homeless people where you'll see literally the same homeless people for years. Um, if you guys went to Calvary Christian School, like you would definitely like get to know certain homeless people. I remember when um, I was in school at Calvary Christian, the one homeless guy we always ran into was a guy that we called the French alien guy because every time we saw him, he was talking about how the French aliens were coming from space to take over America. Um, he, he died recently, um, so that's sad. But um, anyway, I don't know why I said that. It's true, though. Um, poor guy. Anyway, so it's an, this is just an amazing, awesome, simple story about healing. And... I think, you know, the question is, what can we learn about this story? So first, I just want to take a look at the lame man really quick. Like, we can be just like this guy in the sense of we can sometimes be really lame. And I don't mean, like, we can be not cool. I mean, we can sometimes. But I'm talking about crippledness. And you might be hearing that and you're like, I'm not crippled. I can walk fine. Here's what I mean. A lot of times, even as Christians, we are crippled by our sin. Like, just sin is something that a lot of times we treat with just such little care. Like, I remember, I've said this before, but, you know, sin is kind of like a dog with rabies, and we, a lot of times, just treat it like a little puppy. Like, you know, like a puppy, like, poops on the rug or, like, bites you, and you're just like, oh, you know, what a sweet little puppy. Like, that's how we treat our sin when it's coming after us. We're like, oh, it's just a little sin, you know. I'm a Christian. Like, I'm in progress. I'm growing, you know. We don't take our sin seriously, and we don't treat it like that dog with rabies that it is. And this guy, is he's born into his crippledness. He, he's born into it. From birth, he has it. In the same way, we're born into our sin nature. Every single one of us came out a sinner. You know, like when I was a kid, I, I lied so much. I was such a little liar because I learned early on that, hey, if I do something bad and then I tell the, if I tell the opposite of the truth about it, I can get out of punishment. Um, I don't know if you guys have discovered that. Um, it's an amazing technique. Um, but when I was a kid, I did it all the time. And my parents, they, like, they didn't teach me how to lie. And I came out knowing how to lie. It was a part of my sin nature. My parents actually, they tried to stop me from lying by lying to me. They were like, Aaron, you know, when you lie, your ears wiggle. And uh, they lied to me. Like, I don't know if you guys know that, but when you lie, your ears don't wiggle. But I thought that they did for years because my parents lied to me. Anyway, um, we're born into that sin nature. And another thing I see in this guy is, you know, he's begging and he's just constantly in an embarrassment. Uh, He's in an embarrassing situation. Like he's begging for money because he's born into this crippledness. And honestly, like sin causes us to do embarrassing things. Sin causes us to really go to the enemy and beg him for things that we know are wrong, but like, I just want a little bit more of that. Um, you know, I um, personally have done some embarrassing things. Like um, when I, a few years ago, was really hungry, I went to the grocery store and I got a tub of Ben & Jerry's and I forgot to go to like the deli section in Albertsons to get a spoon. So I just had this Ben and Jerry's and I didn't want to wait to eat it until I got home. So I took the lid off and I literally just like started like just going at it like with my 
top teeth, like just scraping it. And I was just like driving and like scraping the cookie dough ice cream out of the thing. And as I was driving, I realized, I was like, I'm in Vista. There's people I know that I drive by all the time. Like they could literally see me just going to, like just going for it. And I was like, I have to make a choice. Do I care more about how I look or do I care about how good this Ben and Jerry's is? And I kept going for it with the Ben and Jerry's. And I felt terrible afterwards. I was like, I'm a terrible person. That's how sin is. You start out and you're just like, I want this sin. And then you realize like, oh my gosh, like I'm stumbling people around me. But at that point, you, you don't care. And, and, you know, sin is something that we should not be proud of. Like being someone who lies or steals or gossips or, or cheats or, you know, engages in lust or pride or anger. Those are things that are honestly, it's an embarrassment. And, and it's, it comes out of a place of need. Just like this guy, this lame man was begging because he was needy. Sin exposes us to the needs and emptiness that we have. Like why do people sin? You know, why do people when I went to Ireland, one of the biggest problems there was alcoholism. Basically, the men in the community would go to work, and then instead of going home, they would go straight to the bar, and they would just drink, or the pub, sorry, and they would just drink and drink and drink until like 11 o'clock and come home and just pass out. And that's the culture. And so the young men are growing up in that environment, watching their dads do that. And then they turn to alcohol because then they've got this emptiness because they don't have dads in the situation. It's just, you know, why do people do these things? Why do they sin? Why Fill in the blank. Whatever sin you struggle with, why do people do it? It's because they have a need. And really it comes from a place of needing God in their life and needing only what Jesus can give them. But they try to fill it with sin. And there, there's a hole in our heart, and living in sin is kind of like trying to fill a hole with acid. What happens if you try to fill a hole with acid? It hurts, it burns, it stings, and it just rips that hole even bigger. Um, go back to the story. Look at, look at this guy. He, he's, he's begging Peter and John because he's hoping to get something. He's begging them, please. He says, you know, silver and gold. Give me some silver and gold. Why does he want silver and gold? Anybody? What, what? To buy things, yeah. He thinks he needs it because he wants possessions. You know, he's a beggar, and he's like, you know, what I need to survive is I need food, and I need a place to stay. And he, he just, he, that's, what, that's all he's thinking of. He's got this crippledness in his legs, but also this crippledness in his heart. And the only thing on his mind is just, I've got to get some cash so I can get what I want in this moment. But really, that's what we as humans do all the time. We, tr- we have this emptiness and this neediness, and we're constantly trying to fill it with stuff. We want money so we can buy things to try to self-medicate ourselves from the hurt in our heart. My sister Amanda, when she was a little kid, she wasn't the smartest kid because she literally, like, I'm not joking. My, my sister Amanda, she's like in her, she's, she just turned 20, I think. And she, when she was a little kid, she thought that band-aids fixed every problem in the world. You know what I mean? Like, if she fell and hurt her knee, band-aid, that makes sense. If she stubbed her toe, she needed a band-aid. If she had a cold, she needed a band-aid. Literally, she'd be like, Mom, I need a band-aid. I have a cold. It's like, where do you put it? Like, on your face? I, if she was, like, throwing up, she thought she needed a band-aid. That was just the way that she thought as a little kid. But what she really needed was medicine. And in the same way, this guy is looking for kind of that band-aid, that comfort of like, hey, I want money so I can have food, so I can have stuff. But what he needed was something more. Because money only provides a little bit of happiness, but once it runs out, this guy's still left with his problems. He's still a cripple, and he's still homeless, and he's still begging. What this guy really needed in his life was a cure. 
And I see all the time people trying to self-medicate. Um, in the time I've done youth ministry, I've seen people go through some pretty gnarly stuff. I've seen people lose family members. I've seen people go through crazy breakups. I've seen um, people just like have really bad stuff happen to their families and their lives. And I've seen people turn to drugs quite often in those situations thinking, this is what I need to get me through this situation. Or I've seen people go through some really bad things and they turn to a relationship and they think, oh, if I can just date someone right now, that'll fill the hole in my heart. I've seen people turn to things like pornography. I've seen people turn to things like trying to get in with a certain crowd of people thinking popularity is what they need. And all of these things are really just band-aids. They can't really heal the way that we need to be healed. Um, Look at the rest of the verse. Um, Peter said, listen, man, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. He's giving him something better. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And took him by the hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Guys, this is something that I think it's important to notice because here's the thing. What, what happens in this story? He says, Jesus can heal you, but then what else does he say? He says, now rise up and walk. You know, in our relationship with Jesus, a lot of times we just think of it as like, I've got problems, I'm gonna pray, and Jesus is gonna fix all my problems. But in the story, he says, hey, Jesus can heal you, grabs his hand and says, hey, get up and walk. You see, I think it's, it's kind of a two-way street. Jesus wants to heal you, but he also wants you to follow him. Like, he, like if you are struggling, let's say you're struggling with sin right now. And chances are, if you're human, you probably are struggling with some sort of sin in your life right now. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. To just pray and say, Jesus, help me to never sin this way again, amen, and then go on living your life exactly the way you have before, that's not really gonna do anything. But if you turn to Jesus and say, help me, and then Jesus says, okay, if you wanna get out of this sin, now, hey, you gotta rise up and walk. So what does that mean? You gotta tell somebody you're struggling with that sin. Go, go to a friend, go to a counselor, go to somebody and say, hey, I am dealing with this thing, please help me. Um, you know, you've gotta put things in your life to help protect you from those sins. Maybe you have to give up some things. Maybe you have to let go of some friendships or some habits or some relationships or things that are causing you to sin in that way. If all you do is say, Jesus, heal me, but then you stay down on the ground in the sin, you're gonna be stuck there. Jesus calls us to following. He calls us to rising up and walk. It's a, it's a cooperation with Jesus that we're called to. Now, Another thing that we're called to is not just for ourselves to rise up and walk, but we're called to help others. There's people all around us. Like that lame beggar who was healed by Jesus through the disciples, I guarantee you that that guy spent a huge amount of his life going around telling other people about Jesus because he was healed. Have you guys like, like I, I wanna know, have you guys ever met anybody who lived like someone your age. I'm not talking about an adult. Have you guys ever met a student your age who had a gnarly life where literally like they were just living in sin and then Jesus came into their life and radically transformed them? Have you guys ever met anyone like that who wasn't just like you and like grew up in the church their whole life? Anybody? So you guys have never encountered, well, you guys go to, you guys go to schools where it's not Christians all the time. You haven't met anybody 
See, yeah, that was me. Seriously, when I was your age, I went to Calvary Christian School. I hadn't met anybody my age who had been radically transformed by Jesus. I think that's half the problem. I've met some people your age who've been through some gnarly stuff. Like, I've met people your age who have been involved in prostitution. I've met people your age who've been involved in, like, drug rings and stuff. Like, I've, it's, I've met people your age who literally have just been, like, depressed out of their mind and suicidal. And I've seen Jesus transform those lives. I see a lot of these kind of people when I, when I go to camp. I think we're just in a community where, and it's, it's important to pay attention to this. I'm bringing this to your attention because I want you to pay attention to the reality that a lot of us, we're church kids and we hang out with church kids, but God wants to spread this gospel to people who are not church kids and show them what it's like to know Jesus. Because going back to this guy, when he got saved, like you, you can bet that he was going around telling everyone about Jesus. The reality is when someone's life has been transformed radically, they can't shut up about Jesus. And for those of us who've grown up in the church, we're usually the ones who are the most hesitant to talk about Jesus because we're so used to it. We're, we're so, it's such a part of our life that we don't even think about it anymore. But if you've been pulled out of the gutter, out of the depths of your darkness, and now Jesus has turned your life around, I am praying that God introduces some of us to people like that, that we can say, hey, if you're looking for a place to come spread that joy, come here and spread it with us. But here's the question that I have for you guys. Peter and John, they see somebody who needed help and their first response is to help. That's their first response. They see this guy and they say, we should help him. Is that your first response? And I'm just gonna be honest with you guys, it's not mine. Like, I wanna feel like a good person for helping that homeless guy. Remember that guy I was telling you about in San Diego where I you know, totally went out of my way to help and bless that guy? You know what, honestly, here's the honest truth. After I spent $40 on that homeless guy, I avoided eye contact with every single other homeless person on the street. Why? Because I didn't want to spend more money. I was like, I've already paid 40. I've done my good deed for the day. I don't want to help anybody else. That is my sin. Like that's, that's the reality of me not caring. And maybe you can relate. Maybe sometimes you're at school and you see people who are in need, people who are like social outcasts, like people who sit by themselves every day, people who you know, they don't have any friend group. They're not a part of any sort of crowd. They're just on their own. They're loners. And you see them and you're like, not my problem because I am working my way up on the social ladder and I've worked hard to make connections with these people. And if I'm seen with them or if I give up time for them, it's lunchtime. Like it's lunchtime. Like it's time for me to hang out with my friends. I had class all day. I remember what it was like. Like you have these classes and they're super lame and that you have those 30 minutes to like enjoy yourself and you want to spend them with your friends. But what if Jesus is calling you to reach out? Or even better, not just you solo, what if Jesus is calling your friend group to reach out to that outcast, that beggar, and say, hey, we want to bring you in to what God is doing. We want to show you what it's like to be around people who love Jesus. We avoid people all the time who are in need. The disciples, they see some people who have a hole in their heart, people who need Jesus. They could have just passed this beggar by and blown him off, but they, they could have said, oh, that's so sad, I'll pray for you. Like, we do that all the time. People are like, oh, I'm really hurting, I'm going through something. You're like, oh, that's, I'll pray for you. And then we don't, like, we just don't. Like, you ever, done, you ever done that? You tell someone, hey, I'll pray for you, and then you just don't. Like, it's almost like I'll pray for you is like Christian shorthand for like, I don't wanna hear your story anymore, good luck to you. Like, Oh, I'm convicted myself even saying this because I do it. In, in our lives, we see so many people in need and there's a hole in their heart. I've seen so many people who are lonely in, in youth ministry, so many people your age who are lonely, who are lost, unpopular, sad, depressed, 
trying to find satisfaction in relationships and just leading to broken hearts, people who are cutters, people who are suicidal, people who are drug users. The reality is these people need Jesus. And you know what? We see these people all the time. And, you know, what keeps us from loving them? The answer is it's the belief that we are better than them. And here's the thing. Like, we wouldn't say that. Like, we wouldn't say that out loud. We wouldn't be like, oh, I'm better than them. But in reality, because of our, our actions, or rather because of our lack of actions, because of our lack of love for those people, what it's doing is it's us saying, not with our words, but by our actions, that, hey, you're not worth my time. You're not worth my effort. You're not worth my friendship. And here's the thing that I really want us to realize tonight, okay? I want us to realize that we are just like these people. Seriously, like we are just as crippled as anyone else. As you walk around school, the reality is every single one of us, at some point you see someone in the day where you think, oh, I'm glad I'm not him. I'm glad I'm not her. We all do it. We all look at people where we're like, I wish I was like him. I wish I was like her. Someone who's cooler, someone who's prettier, someone who's more handsome, someone who's taller, someone who's in better shape, someone who has a better voice. We all have these different things that we look at with people. I was the same way in high school, and to some extent, I'm still this way as an adult. We envy people, but then there's always people where we see them, we're like, well, at least I've got it better than that guy. At least I'm better looking than her. Like, we think these things. But in reality, we're just as crippled as anyone else. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with insecurity. And, you know, I think Peter, when he sees this crippled guy, the reality is he sees something in himself. Like, Peter gets it. He understands his own crippledness. Peter was the guy who just denied Jesus three times. Like, Peter knows. Like, when the story of the gospel starts out, Peter, like, he is so confident. Like, he thinks he has it all together. He's the guy who's like, I don't know if you know people like this, but he's the guy who's literally, he's all talk, but he's like, has nothing behind it. He's always bragging, but then like, he can't actually ever do anything to show for it. Like, when Jesus is about to get executed, Peter's like, all these other guys are gonna deny you, but I would never do that because I'm amazing and I'm Peter. And Jesus is like, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times, man. So that's Peter. Now, like, okay, here's another example. The disciples, another time when Jesus was alive. Remember, this is after Jesus' resurrection and he went back to heaven. There was a time when Peter and the other disciples were with Jesus and they saw another guy who had an injury or a, a deformity, like a crippledness from his birth. And you know what the disciples said to Jesus? They were still in that Jewish mindset, you know, that honor, shame culture. And they were like, hey, Jesus, why do you think this guy's crippled? Um, is it because his parents did something bad or do you think it's because he sinned? You know what I mean? Like they're trying to figure out like what his deal was, like what his sin was. And Jesus was like, guys, like you're missing the point. The point isn't like, why is he like this? Whose fault is it? The point is this guy needs our help. So now fast forward to the present. Peter knows the truth now. He sees this crippled guy. He's not like, oh, you poor guy. Too bad you can't be like me. I'm Peter. I'm amazing. Jesus picked me to lead his church. No, Peter sees this guy, and he sees in him something in himself. He's like, this guy's just as crippled as I was without Jesus. He needs help. Now, for you guys, you might be thinking, like, what are you talking about, man? Like, I've been a Christian my whole life. How can I be crippled? Well, listen. 
You should be thankful that God has shown you mercy and put you in the family that you're in, that you've been raised in a Christian family. But know that one sin is enough to cripple you. Like one sin is enough to separate any of us from God. We've all sinned much more than once. Sin is something that absolutely is crippling without Jesus. I've seen so many people like literally start out sinning and I'm like, I'm talking to them and this is like at the beginning of them going down that path, you know? Like they're dabbling in drugs a bit and I'm like, dude, like you don't know what you're doing. Or they're with some girl and like things are starting to get a little physical and I'm like, dude, you need to slow down. Um, and what happens in those conversations is people are like, you know what, uh, I can handle it. Like I've had so many guys that I've sat across the table with and they're like, dude, what are you talking about, man? Like I'm fine, I'm fine. And what happens is that sin, which starts out as something fun, ends up crippling them to the point where they feel so distant from God because they're constantly sinning and messing up and, and their conscience is totally gone and they don't feel connected to the Holy Spirit. Like even as Christians, if we allow ourselves to live in sin, it can become crippling for us. So here's the thing. What, what does a cripple look for, right? What does a cripple look for? Like to help them walk, what does a cripple look for? Yeah, or what's another word for that, Brantz? Starts with a C. Crutch. Crutch, yes. Cripples look for crutches. And when, when people stumble into sin and it begins to cripple them, you know what they usually try to use as a crutch? More sin. They continue to go down this path and their sin injures them and all of a sudden they just... They're like, man, I need something else. And so they turn to even worse sin, thinking that'll fix the problem. The reality is we don't need a crutch. What we need is healing. Sin cripples us, but Jesus taught us to walk with him. Guys, if you're here as a Christian, you need to understand, you are somebody who once was a cripple, and I know this is hard for you guys to understand if you've grown up in the church, because you're like, I can't think of a time when I was ever like not a Christian. Listen, we are the cripples who have been healed. And the reality is there's a world out there of people who need Jesus. A lot of times, you know what we do in the church as Christian kids? We judge other people. That's the reality. We see people who are sinning worse than us. And, you know, maybe our sin's more secret. It's more private. And then we see someone who's like publicly sitting on the outside. And we talk to our friends like, man, can you get a load of that guy? Like, man, he's really bad. But in reality, like, it's so sad that we who used to be crippled, who have been healed by Jesus, now we judge other people who are crippled. Shouldn't we want to instead introduce them to the one who can heal them? So, I mean, these people we see all the time. It's, it's you know, the, the people who are crippled in our schools and our friends groups. And, you know, it's, it's the girl who seems like she has it all together on the outside but is desperately sad on the inside, or the young man who sits by himself every day, or the sister who ran away from home, the friend who's always drunk or high, the friend who goes from relationship to relationship thinking it'll make them happy, when each time it just makes them feel emptier, these are the cripples. And when we pass them, what do we think? Do we think, oh, someone else will reach them? Or I'm sure they have a youth pastor somewhere who will help them. So often we just smile and say, wow, your story is sad. God bless you, I'll be praying for you. But instead, I wanna encourage you guys to do what the disciples did. They, they didn't give him silver or gold or anything of this earth. They gave him Jesus. Peter said, hey, I don't have silver. I don't have gold, but what I have for you is better. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That's the thing. The people around you, they don't need your money. They, they need Jesus. 
They need to hear what Jesus has done for them. Only Jesus can bring healing. It's only through his name that the man was healed. Now, all this is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, remember, this is not the Acts of the Apostles. I said this in the first message. This book is called the Acts of the Apostles, but it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit working through people. When, when, when you're trying to reach the people in your life who are crippled by their own sins and insecurities and depressions, you can't do anything without Jesus. Like, Jesus is the one where all of our power comes from. We need him in our life. I like what Josh White says. Um, Josh White is a pastor that I really enjoy. We listened to him a couple weeks ago. Um, He says, a Christian without the Holy Spirit is like a car without gasoline. It'll look like a car, but it won't function like a car without the gasoline making it run on the inside. That's why we need the Spirit. And I would really encourage, not just you, but myself, If you don't wake up in the morning and ask for a filling of God's spirit, I would really encourage you to start doing that. Like make that a habit as you get up and get ready to go to school. Say, God, fill me with your spirit today so that I can do the things that you called me to. Now, here's my question for you guys. Um, Another question. Are you guys, when it comes to speaking up about Jesus, like sharing this faith, remember? What does the guy do when he's healed? He's walking and leaping and praising God. Are you guys bold to speak the name of Jesus or are you embarrassed? Like is talking about Jesus is something that's embarrassing to you. When I was your age, it honestly was embarrassing sometimes to talk about how I was a Christian to my non-Christian friends. Sometimes even at my Christian school, it was embarrassing to talk about my Christianity. But this is what I've been thinking about lately. Like Christianity is not a social club. Like, it's not like, oh, man, like, come to this cool thing where we hang out and, like, we're Christian friends. Christianity is literally something, it's, it's as extreme as if you had the cure for cancer. Because remember, sin is something that destroys people and kills people. Imagine if you had the cure for cancer. Like, if a doctor gave you a briefcase full of the cure for cancer, how insane would it be if you didn't go and spread that cure around to people who had it? We carry around with us the hope of humanity. Why aren't we sharing it with other people? The thing is, God has called every single one of you guys to share the gospel. And some of you guys might be like, I'm scared, but know this. Like, God is with you, and he'll get the job done. He's just asking for willing hearts. I remember um, a guy named Chuck Swindoll. He's like this old theologian I was reading about, and he was in the military. And um, he had a bunkmate. And um, he's in his dorms, you know, in the military, and he's a Christian, and he wants to share the gospel with his bunkmate. And, you know, that guy is not a Christian. He's an atheist. He doesn't want anything to do with God. But he just prays, and he's like, God, give me some sort of way to share the gospel with this guy. So God speaks to him, and he gives, gives him this idea. So he has to study for, um, I think he was, like, before going to, like, while he was in the military, he was also, like, taking courses at this, like, Christian college. So he had to study for a test and so he asked his bunkmate to help him study. So he wrote all these verses on flashcards. And he's like, hey, man, help me memorize these verses. And so he would, like, practice with this guy over and over again to, like, memorize these verses. And literally, like, over, like, the next couple months, the guy ends up getting saved because the word of God was exposed to him. And literally, this guy who was an atheist, now all of a sudden his heart is softened by the word of God. That's a huge reason why you guys should bring people here. Because it's not my words that change anybody. It's the word of God. It's us opening up the Bible and saying, God, what do you have to say? That's what changes people. It's not me. 
I could be replaced so easily. I could go to Ireland. We could get another youth pastor. I can get hit by a truck. I could get another youth pastor. Even if I wasn't teaching and one of you was just sitting there opening up the Bible and talking about it, that could still change somebody's heart and soften it because it's not our words. It's the Spirit speaking through us about his word. So um, here's the thing. Honestly, guys, nothing will spark your faith more than seeing other people come to faith. And I think the reason a lot of times we get so bored with our Christianity is because we haven't entered into that exciting responsibility of being a witness. This crippled guy, he receives healing, but he doesn't just receive healing, he receives relationship. Like, here's the thing. It says in verse, uh, it says in verse, what verse is that? Verse eight, my font was really small. It says, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. Do you realize that this guy never was allowed to enter the temple his entire life? And the, in the Jewish culture, like the temple was everything. Every little Jewish boy and girl went to the temple. Every man and woman went to the temple to worship God. But according to the laws of the Old Testament, if you had a crippledness or a deformity, you weren't allowed to go. So this whole life, his crippledness had separated him from being in the presence of God. It's a total picture of what our sin does. Sin keeps us from a relationship with God. It cripples us from having a relationship. This guy gets healed, and now he runs into the temple, and he's skipping and jumping up and down. He's so excited. Like, you know, in the early church, the altar call, that didn't exist. You guys know that thing at camp that we do where, like, you know, the guy gives a message, the lights go down, the music starts playing, it's like really dramatic. And he's like, if you need Jesus, you come on down this aisle right now. And like people start walking forward. And it's, that didn't exist. In the early church, it wasn't like, hey, raise your hands, come forward. In the early church, it was repent, get baptized, and follow Jesus. It was like, it wasn't like raise your hand in this church service. It was live your life. That's how you knew you were a Christian. It wasn't like, oh, did that guy raise his hand at camp? Did he get baptized at camp? No, it was, are you living for Jesus? The reality is I have pictures of every camp baptism for the last 12 years. Do you know how many people I've seen baptized who walked away from Jesus? So many Baptism is not something that's like this magical thing that saves you. Baptism is just an outward expression of something going on in the inside. It's somebody whose heart's on fire for Jesus, and then they get baptized, and they're like, hey, I want everyone to see I'm on fire. I want everyone to see that in my heart, Jesus is Lord. The whole gospel is kind of wrapped up in those three words, Jesus is Lord. And I loved at camp this last year because, you know, I remember I was standing with uh, Jake Randall and Aaron Frizee, and everyone's coming down for baptism, but no one from Vista came. Like, just nobody. And I was sitting there with Aaron Frizee, and I was like, so, you know, is everyone from Vista, like, okay? Like, are they just like, I don't need baptism? And I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, most of the kids in our group, like, most of you guys have been baptized. Like, you have done it at an early age, and, you know, it's something where we haven't had a lot of new people come to the group, so yeah, it made sense, and it was kind of lame, because we're like, oh, we feel stupid, because, like, we're the only two pastors who are not baptizing people, so in my flesh, it was kind of like an embarrassing thing, where I was like, I hope it doesn't look like my group's not spiritual. In reality, just most of you guys had already been baptized, but then Pete Denham came forward, and he was like, dude, I've been baptized, but right now, even though I've been baptized in the past, I want to show everybody what's going on in the inside. Right now, as an you know, adult, married, worship pastor, I am so on fire for Jesus more than I've ever been that I want to re 
publicly make a statement that I love Jesus and I want to follow him and Jesus is Lord. And I remember it was such a beautiful moment because we baptized Peter. And then after that, more of you guys started coming down. And there were, some of you guys are in this room where you'd been baptized as a kid, but you were inspired in that moment to come down and follow Jesus and re-publicly make that statement. And that's, that's a statement that we need to remember. If we get baptized at camp in this big dramatic moment, but then we don't live for Jesus in our regular day-to-day life, then it's for nothing. Then it didn't mean anything. Our baptism has to be reflected in the way that we live our life. We need to live a life that's baptized. You know, like in this living room, we've got a small group, but honestly, there's, there's room in this house for more. We could have more people here. We could fill up that entire backyard with people. Here's the thing. As a pastor, I'm not interested in numbers at all. Like, I'm not like, I have this goal. I have some friends who are youth pastors. It's so sad. They have churches where literally, like, they have quotas. That means that their senior pastors are like, you need to have 50 kids in your group, and if you don't, we're firing you and getting another youth pastor. And so, like, all of their work is, like, put into trying to, like, attract people and bring people, not even to like share the gospel, but just so they can keep their jobs. I'm really glad we don't have a group like that. If this is the number of people that we have for the rest of time, like if for some reason, even 20 years later, we still only have 15 people or whatever, that's fine. But I'm just saying that if God wants to bring more people here, and if he wants to use us to bring more people here, we have room for it. And, you know, As a youth group, a lot of times we depend, think about this, as a youth group, a lot of times we depend on parents coming to church and bringing their students to bring more people here. You know what I mean? It's like, we think the only way this youth group is going to grow is if more adults start coming to Calvary Vista and then bringing their high school students and then they become a part of the group. But think about this. What if we were the entire church? Like, what if Calvary Vista was just this group of people? If Calvary Vista was just us in this room, how would the church grow? Anybody? How would it grow? If there was no adults in the picture, no parents involved, and this was literally just the church, how would this church grow? What would have to happen? Anybody? Yeah, people would have to... <laughs> Ooh. Um, that's an option, but a be- a, no, there, what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is people would have to get saved, right? Like people around us, you know, barring you guys all getting married and having kids. I mean, if you guys all want to marry one another, I, we can do that right now. I am an ordained minister. So if that's, you know, just, just pick, just pair up with a random partner and we'll, we'll make it happen. Uh, whoa, whoa, okay, calm down. Uh, no, what I'm saying is, if we were the church, the only way the church could survive is if we told people about Jesus and people got saved. Listen, I want you guys to start thinking of this Wednesday night group as a church. Even if you're already going to church somewhere, stop thinking of this as just a youth group. A church is really wherever a body of Christ followers gather. That's what a church is. If you run a little Bible study at your school and there's six people that come to it, guess what? You run a small church. Like, we think of church as this thing where there's like buildings and like people on staff. A church is just a collection of people who follow Jesus. So start thinking of that and think of yourselves here as leadership. Like, no, seriously. 
you guys, this is, this is for all practical reasons, this, this room, we are a church, and you guys are in leadership here because you're the ones who are Christians, and you're the ones who follow Jesus, and you're here. And yes, you're here to receive, and you're here to grow, but you're also in leadership. I'm not here for you, and you're not here for me. We are here together for Jesus. I want to encourage you guys, keep inviting people because God has gifted you guys in different ways. Some of you guys have the ability to like articulate the gospel really clearly. Um, some of you guys have the gift of hospitality. Like people show up and you make them feel super welcome and cared for. Some, but all of us have the ability to say, come and see. Like, hey, come and see what I believe in. Come and see my community. And because the power of the gospel is found in the community, one of the most important components of our Wednesday group is public witness to the gospel. Here's what I mean. We are a place where people can come and see what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what we are. Like, this should be a place where anybody can come and they can show up here and they don't feel like an outcast. They don't feel like a reject. They don't feel like no one loves them. They feel like, wow, this is a place where I feel loved and cared for by people in my community. And this is not in my notes, but it's just something on my heart. If you come here, even on these Wednesday night things, and you tend to only hang out with the same small group of three or four people, and you don't really venture out and get to know the rest of the people here, I would really encourage you, bless other people with your friendship. Friendship is something God-given, and it's a blessing. Like, it doesn't mean that you can't hang out with, like, your, like, your core group of friends, but don't come here and just hang out with those people. Be loving to everybody. Um, this is a group where people should come and see what Christ followers are like. And listen, like we're called to be witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is somebody who saw something and then they report it. Like you see some crazy event. You see a meteor land and hit and you're like, whoa, that was amazing. And then you go and tell people you're a witness. If we don't ever invite people to come here and witness what Jesus is like, all we're doing is witnessing to ourselves. And then what are we? We're not a church. We're just a group that likes to get together and talk about Jesus. I want us to be more than that. What I would like to see for Hope's Anchor, our youth group, is for us to fill, this is, okay, listen to this. Tell me, just think about this. I would love to see every chair here filled with a non-believer so that every single one of us had to sit on the floor to make room for them. And if that upsets you, because maybe you're the type that like always likes to run to the couch and get there first before anyone else and get the best seat. Um, listen, this is not like Christianity is not for us. And if our ideal is to be comfortable and to be hashtag blessed every time we come here, but never spread to people, then it shows where our heart is. Like we have been healed. Like we don't have to go to hell. We are not crippled anymore. There's a world of people out there who are crippled and who need Jesus. And if all we care about is getting the best seats in the house every time, what are we doing? What, what am I doing as a pastor? What, what a bad job I'm doing if that's what we care for. We need to be so passionate about Jesus that we would rather all sit on the floor and have non-Christians come and say, hey, you take the best seat in the house. At least that's the way Jesus taught. Paul the apostle, you know what he said? He was like, man, I wish I could go to hell if it meant that everyone else could be saved. That's intense. I'm not there. <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. But that was, that was Paul. He was like, man, I would rather burn in hell if everyone else got to go to heaven. He was that passionate about people. He saw people who didn't know Jesus and he broke his heart and he wept. 
We need a passion for bringing other people to Jesus. When you see people at your school who don't know Jesus, or even you guys who go to Christian schools and you see people where you just know that they're not walking with God, does your heart break for them? Or are you just kind of like, man, I'm glad I'm not like her. Glad I don't have it as bad as him. Or is our heart breaking for people who need a savior? Everyone in this room has, myself included, has someone that they know they could invite. And I'm telling you, if we believe God will draw people and we actually step out in faith and invite them to come in, you'll be amazed at how there will be people who are like, why didn't you invite me to this sooner? Like, I love this. We always think that we're gonna get rejected and we will be rejected by some But really, like, how bad is rejection nowadays? There's people in the Middle East getting their heads chopped off. What do we get? An awkward moment, you know? The worst we can get is, hey, you want to go to youth group? Nah. Okay. Like, that's that's it. Just, like, a little bit of awkwardness. You know what I mean? Like, that's not that bad. You'd be surprised if you actually begin to live confidently enough to at least invite people to come and see what this is all about. You'll be surprised at how willing people are to come. And here's the thing. I would love to just go around and invite high school kids to come to a stranger's house in the middle of the week, but that does not work out that well for me. I'm 28. Literally yesterday, there was a group of high school kids. I tried talking to them. They were, they were on the church property. I went out thinking, I'm going to be a youth pastor and talk to them. And this girl was like, stay away from him. He's probably a creeper. And they all ran away. And I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm not. I was, okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, I can't be the evangelistic force behind this youth group. Like, it's when I was a 17-year-old counselor, it worked. Even when I was, like, a 23-year-old guy and I had no facial hair and I just looked like a chubby 18-year-old, it worked. Um, Yeah, I could just shave, but I think that might actually make things worse. (laughs) Um, I think you can see the the wrinkles in my face are starting to appear. So anyway, listen, God wants to use you to reach people that I can't. Do you realize that? Like, I know that I have gone on mission trips, and I've witnessed to people in places like Ireland and things, but did you know there's people that I can't reach and that maybe God wants you to reach those people? There's people around you that I can't be a missionary to, but God is calling you to be a missionary to. There are things, there are deep, spiritual, important things that God is calling you to do that I can't do. You, sh- you, should, you should pause and really think about that. Like, this is not, this, this is not like, this youth group is not like me trying to like run my own little church or me in Brooklyn trying to run our own little church. This is literally a group of Christ followers and God has put me right now in charge of it, not in the sense of bossing people around, but just teaching people about Jesus. But this is not my group. This is not Brooklyn's group. This is our group. And more importantly, this is Jesus's group. I wanna encourage you guys to take ownership of it And really go through your week thinking, man, not think of it as like, man, this is my group in the sense of this is where I go to hang out with my friends and not do homework and just chill. But this is where I go to get filled up with Jesus so that I can go back out and encourage other people to follow Jesus. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is the idea of treasure. Um, How many of you guys ever, when you were a kid, did treasure hunts? You know, where you like marked X on the map and you went out and looked for the treasure? (laughs) This, not a, what was your treasure hunt like? Oh, cool. I've never tried that, but would you ever want to go treasure hunting with me? We can just go through your neighborhood and knock on doors. Oh, scav- you're thinking of scavenger hunt. We should do a scavenger hunt. 
Anyone want to do a scavenger hunt soon? Oh, Brooklyn hates it. Well, we'll you know, we can still do it. Um, okay, so this guy, though, okay? Go, go, back to the, uh, go back to the story. So this guy receives Jesus, and he's healed. What does he do? Three things. Anybody remember what they are? Walking, leaping, and what's the third one? Selling? Oh, walking, leaping, and selling stuff. No, walking, (laughs) leaping, and praising God. So, like, how many of you guys have ever seen someone, like, flip out from, like, how excited they were? Like, where they're literally, like, bouncing around, screaming, doing cartwheels? Um, Is anyone here, like, really bad at reacting to things? Where they're like, yeah, I'm not. Like, people buy me awesome presents sometimes, and I'm like, oh, cool. And in my mind, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. But, like, outwardly, I'm like, they're like, do you hate me? I'm like, no. Um, Danny Solace's parents, they redid my entire office. Like, they totally, like, decked it out with wood and just did all this amazing stuff. They built me a desk. They built me a little, like, wooden container for my mini fridge in the corner. And, like, Danny was like, Aaron, when you see... No, not the Perg. No, it was um, the Bergerins. Magnuson Bergerins' parents, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, um, yeah. So... Yeah, Danny's like, Aaron, like, when you see this office, man, like, you're going to flip out. It's going to be amazing, bro. Like, you're just, you're going to need, like, a box of tissues. You're going to be crying so hard, you know? And so they showed me the office, and it was amazing. But my response was like, wow. Like, this is, I was like, Owen Wilson. I was like, wow, this is really good. Wow. And, like, and Danny was like, when he asked me, he's like, so did you cry? And I was like, no. But it was awesome. And he, he looked at me like, what is wrong with you? You're a terrible person. Yeah, they recorded me walking in. I'm pretty sure as soon as it was over, they, like, deleted the footage because it, like, was not satisfying. (laughs) Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everyone is different in how they react, but what matters is not how this guy acted on the outside, but it was the inside. This guy had joy in his heart, and the proper response to God healing is joy. Like, all of us feel joy about something. Right now, I am more excited about... I, I used to be excited about Christmas, I'm not even excited about Christmas anymore. You know what I'm excited about? Every December, I get a new Star Wars movie until I die. Like, that is Disney's Christmas present to me. And I am honestly more excited. Like, I am just joyful when I think about the new, like, Luke Skywalker back in action after, like, so many, like, oh, my gosh, it's Luke. I, are you excited? You've got the Jedi hood on? And I don't know. I just. Yeah, oh, I know. No, no, here's the thing. Han Solo, Han Solo died in the first one. Leia's probably going to die in the second. And then Luke will probably die in the third to tie up the loose ends. That's just Chewbacca will live on forever. By the way, this has nothing to do with my message. Nothing to do with my message. But after Force Awakens came out, it was like the day after it came out, and I had a youth event, and I get, I, and I get into the car. I get into the car with a big group of people, and Justin gets in the car, and the first thing he says is, Han Solo dies. <laughs> Just spoiled it for everybody. <laughs> anyway, sorry, moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> We love you, Justin. Um, (laughs) Jesus, this is my closing point, okay? Jesus should be our ultimate treasure. Jesus should be what we find the most joy in. Here's my question for you. Are you satisfied with Jesus? Like, there's nothing wrong to want things in life. I mean, but do you guys feel frustrated without those things? Are there things in your life that you don't have that you want, and you feel frustrated you don't have those things? (laughs) <laughs> the problem is not that you want like evil things there's nothing evil about wanting a girlfriend um, 
But here's the thing. Like when we don't have what we want, oftentimes we, we become discontented. I spent most of my teenage years being discontented because I didn't have a girlfriend and it literally was like the worst thing ever. And I just looked at everyone who had a girlfriend and I was like, I want to die. This is terrible. Um, we become jealous of other people. We become envious. And it's true that we lack something, but the reality is what we lack is satisfaction in Jesus. Like we need to find our deepest satisfaction in Jesus. And and when we do, it saves us from bitterness. It saves us from pride. It saves us from all of these evil emotions inside of us. Like, the world has a ton of great things in it. And they're good gifts and they come with temporary blessings. But for you, as a Christian, having blessings on earth should remind you of the one who gives the ultimate blessings. And the times where you feel blessed should remind you of that which never fades or can be taken away. Like the Apostle Paul, he modeled it for us in Philippians 4. He said in verse 11 through 13, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to have a lot. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul knows the secret of being content is not about having a lot of stuff or a little bit of stuff. It's about having everything in Jesus. And right now, you know, Christmas is coming up. It's easy for us to get greedy. Greed comes from our focus on our worldly gifts instead of the generosity of the one who gives good gifts, and that's Jesus. God is an amazing giver. He's generous. He loves us, and, and he wants so much for you guys. And, and we often have the wrong heart when Jesus is not more glorious to us than worldly gifts. Jesus needs to be our greatest treasure. For, for this guy in the story, Jesus was absolutely his greatest treasure. He had nothing. He had absolutely nothing. He was this beggar who had nothing going for him. And then Peter and John heal him through the power of Jesus. Jesus heals him. He doesn't stand up and say, sweet, I've got legs. Now I can go get money and make, get a job and get everything that I want. No, all he wants once he's been healed is more Jesus. That's what he's all about. He gets healed and all he wants to do is praise God the Lord. Like, here's the thing. A lot of you guys, you feel like people who've been born who can walk because you've been born in the church. You don't feel like this cripple because you've been born into a Christian family. So to you, you've always been walking. But the reality is without Jesus, every single one of us would be just as crippled as the guy in this story. I think we need to show God more appreciation for that. I think we need to thank him. Have you ever sat, like, have you ever sat down, thought about the sins that you struggle with and thought about the kind of person you would be if you didn't have Jesus? I've thought about that. And that person does not look like a good person. Like, I know the issues I struggle with. If Jesus is taken out of the picture and I don't have his Holy Spirit helping me with those issues and those issues become magnified, oh my gosh, I would be the worst, honestly. It is, if you guys ever look at me or Brooklyn or Rebecca or any of the counselors and think, oh, there's, they're good people. I wish I could be like them. The only reason there is anything good about us is because of Jesus. Like he is the source of everything good in us. We've been healed. You've been healed. Even if it doesn't feel like it. Even if you feel like you've always been born walking. You've been healed. And my question for you guys is, are you going 
to realize that, allow joy to fill you, and then live with that joy of knowing that without Jesus, you'd be lost, but because of Jesus, you're found. And are you going to allow that joy to spread to other people? So many times as Christians, we live these joyless lives where we're just kind of like, uh, like we focus so much on what we don't have. You know, we focus on, oh, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have a job. My grades are bad. My parents are lame. Like we just go around thinking about the negatives and we don't think about, man, I have been saved by a God who loved me enough to die on the cross for me. I have it so good and I need to spread this goodness to others around me. Amen? Yeah? Let's, let's pray and let's just pray that this week God helps us to live not lives where we're just focusing on what we don't have and we're discontented. Help us to focus on all the good things that God has given us and help us to spread that joy to others. Jesus, we love you. And God, I just pray that you'd help us. God, help us to realize how crippled we would be without you. And God, if there's anyone here who right now is allowing themselves to be crippled, by sin, which is so silly, but we do it all the time. You've healed us and we literally go and grab that hammer and break our knees spiritually. We, we allow ourselves to become crippled by that sin. But every time we do, Jesus, you, you come and you stand with your hand outstretched and you just say, hey, get up, follow me. I pray first off, if, there, if there's anyone here in this room who is dealing with sin and they feel crippled by it, they feel like they can't escape, they feel like there's no hope, and God, I even pray for, for the people in this room who maybe feel like because they have this image of being the, the good Christian guy or girl in the group who never makes mistakes and the sins they're struggling with, they just feel ashamed and they feel like they could never tell anybody because it would just ruin that image. God, I pray if anyone here feels that way, help them to realize that this isn't a place where people come and pretend that they're perfect. This is a place where failures come to admit their failure and ask Jesus for help. So I pray if there's anyone here who feels crippled by sin, whether it's sin that's outward or sin that's inward and more hidden, God, help them to take your outstretched hand and get up and walk. God, I, I pray for this group because this is a group where many of us have never even met somebody who's been radically transformed. We've never met someone our age who's had their lives radically transformed by Jesus because most of the people we know are Christians or most people we know go to a Christian school and so they have sort of Christian background. God, I just pray that you would bring people to this group who've been radically transformed. People who had lives that were just so dark and then you brought the life in into them. Because honestly, I feel like those of us who are church kids, myself included, we could learn a lot from that person. That kind of person could show us what real joy looks like. So we just ask for that, God, even if it's just one person. Um, we ask that you, you bring someone to this group who has that sort of excitement, that passion for you that only comes from somebody who's been brought out of darkness into light. And for those of us who are church kids, who've grown up in the faith, help us just to realize, God, we're crippled without you. Help us to not sit down in our sin, but to get up and walk every day away from our sin and deeper towards you. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen.